Why, hello, and welcome to Season 29, Episode 4 of Happy Jack's Emerging Podcast. My name is Stu. My name is Kurt. I'm Snork. Your mic unmuted. My mic is unmuted. Really? Yeah. It's so quiet. Hey, there. Oh, there you are. You're there now. Okay. okay. Someone must have been really loud sitting there. Louder than you. I know. Because you were quiet. That's hard to right. <laughs> you, you project. <laughs> I do. In this episode of Happy Jacks RPG Podcast, uh, Albin from Finland writes in about two RPG-related products, and Jolene writes in, uh, revisits pre-existing settings, but with a twist. But first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. We need emails. Um, and if you'd like to watch the show live, you can go to happyjacks.org slash live. That's happyjacks.org slash live. On Saturdays, at 10 a.m. Pacific time um, for this week and next week, and then after that we we'll go back to Fridays. We're back huh? on Fridays. We back on Fridays. What? Yes. Okay. We're back on Fridays. The volleyball season ends, ah, so I no longer have to go pick up my daughter after away volleyball games. Kind of like the Saturday mornings. I know. It works for me. It's kind of it's kind of chill. Yeah, but it is. There's not a lot of like you know, coming in off of work. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, getting getting up here on Friday nights, I can do it. It's but working in Long Beach and making it here by oh yeah, oh I know. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, it, it, it's doable. <laughs> Although if you do switch back to Fridays, Mary might be able to and would want to come back on. Okay. So. All right. Um, gaming related products from Albin in Finland. There wasn't. There was mention of a need for emails on a recent episode. Still is. Yeah, yeah. yeah this, this episode that was mentioned. So I wanted to write in about a game I'm starting and ask about games and resources that have changed, hopefully improved, the campaigns you run. I am right now in the process of starting a new campaign with my regular group. We are moving back to D&D 5th edition after they graciously indulged me in trying out Blades in the Dark for a campaign of about eight or nine sessions. An uh, obvious ploy by me to try and get the players to take more agency and ownership of the storytelling. Uh, overall, I think my scheme was a, su- was a success. It improved my improvisational skills and had the players looking uh, at their sh- character sheets less, taking the initiative and moving the scenes forward more actively. But it did also occasionally trigger one of my players' anxiety with how quote-unquote, loose the rules felt compared with what they're used to. Hoping that some of the lessons learned will carry over, uh, we put that experiment on hold and agree on returning to more familiar waters. That's a thing. We can talk about that later, but that whole anxiety caused by having no rules or loose rules is a thing. There's preferences and there's nothing wrong. Oh, look, we have someone doing horseshit on our do we have a? Uh, we have one. Can but someone kill that? It's on restream on YouTube. Someone, Thank you. Someone, one of the mods. I'm, I'm not some. even. I'm not even sure what that says. Don't don't read it. I'm not. Sure. <laughs> wow. I'm not sure what it says. I said don't read it. Wow. <laughs> I'm not reading it aloud. <laughs> I meant don't read it at all. Like it's not necessary. Yeah. Uh, wow. Um. Continue reading. Sure. For me. <clears throat> Uh, not one to be dissuaded, I am using this opportunity to test two other RPG-related products on them for the first time, both of which have recently been mentioned on the podcast. The first of which is Dekuma... Dekuma. Oh, I've heard of that that. somewhere. I can't remember where I heard of it. Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) And the other is Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Okay. Well, familiar with that one. Well, it, you know, Dungeon Master, he was so lazy, he never actually put it out. So he actually had to put out Return of Lazy Dungeon Master. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. So I wish that no. was true. I really wish that was true. Uh, missed you. Uh, <laughs> Aim higher. <laughs> For anyone listening who doesn't know what Decima is, I'm not going to explain it because the crew on the show could probably do a better job of it than I. 
But there might like, even be a link on our page. There probably <laughs> is. Yeah, GoldenLassoGames.com. Uh, but suffice it to say that our Session Zero using it was a resounding success. It's a very good product. It's a very good product. We highly recommend it. It really is. Um, oh, mine finally showed up. <laughs> 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 really? Because I got mine like two weeks ago. Uh, like a, a week. A week like direct, I think directly from China, too. Yeah, exactly. Don't you have just have a box of them in your attic somewhere? <laughs> no. No, oh. no, I don't. <laughs> um... Uh, the whole group actively participating in creating Whale Atoll, an island city-state ruled by a council of druids who watch over it over the volcano slumbering in the middle of the inland lagoon. Oh, it's Joe versus the volcano <laughs> with the Waponi Woo. Does anyone have a brain cloud? I actually love <laughs> Joe versus the volcano. It's really one of my guilty pleasures. It's not a great movie, but it has some great quotes. The luggage salesman alone yes. is worth watching. <laughs> I still got my trunks! <laughs> if I were to take an ocean voyage. <laughs> Renowned for the coconut spirits brewed and distilled here, the island has effectively been set under a blockade by a dwarven trading company who seek to seize both the trade of the spirits and to harness the volcano for use in industry. <clears throat> and brewing beneath this strained situation, the party has become aware that Tam Copperkettle, the head mixer at the distillery whom everyone trusts, is putting something in the booze. Now, see, only with Decima would you get something that cool. <laughs> it really does lead you down that path. It's awesome. That's why it's the R&D for your RPG. There you go. When I ask... Give me my... I'm expecting my check in the mail. <laughs> Actually, if we use that phrase, we have to pay for 10 cents. I think I came up with it. Then we have to pay for <laughs> <laughs> when I asked what the group thought of the game, everyone agreed that it had created more buy-in to the world than we had achieved on previous startups, with the players asking questions and the DM answering and tacking on as much lore as they can before eyes start glazing over. Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master is a system agnostic book that offers advice on ways you might improve the fantasy RPGs you run by evaluating what parts of preparation for running a game actually improve the game and cutting away as much as possible of the rest. Especially regarding trying to stake out a plot in advance, I found it very helpful and I'm now trying, to, trying out running this campaign as a spiral campaign only preparing the immediate surroundings of the characters and the movers in the narrative that are of immediate interest to, to the players and the PCs. That's pretty much what I do. Uh, I just didn't realize there was a name for it. Um, on this point, I can't yet tell you if it's a good idea. The research is ongoing. Now I've rambled about my own experience a little while, so I'll leave you with this question. We often talk about how running different systems help us grow as players and GMs. I even started out my story with this very thing. But what are there what are the games, books or other media, RPG adjacent or not, that have changed your outlook on running games or improved your games in some way? Maybe you played a dungeon crawling board game like Gloomhaven with actually interested interesting tactical decisions, and realized 5e is, at best, only good at any of the three pillars. Maybe you tried a, tried a journaling RPG like The Quiet Year and used it to launch a campaign. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Cheers, Albin from Finland. P.S. I just remembered these emails usually add a P.S. P.P.S. Drink. Uh, hmm. That most of the there's a lot of trappings that you can throw into your game. Someone can make, you know, depending on your personality and depending on the type of game, I suppose, it can ease, make your job easier and make your job more complicated. Everybody's going to end up settling down into certain things that they like to use. Stu is a big OneNote fan. Yes. And, has, and it has streamlined <clears throat> his games, but I know other people find it hard to use, so they don't use that. Some other people are more analog and just like to keep everything written down in books and folders, and that works for them. So... It's kind of hard to say these are the things to use because everybody's going to find something that they... Uh, you have to try it, I suppose. Yeah. So you have to be willing to go out there and, and check out things, which is maybe what you're asking. But I find that most people end up settling into things that work for them and that's what they use and, you know, they don't, they're not really going to change because it's already working. It's not broken. I don't need to fix it. Right. Um, 
I take a much more esoteric view, I guess, of GMing, which is like, what can I do to help with the storytelling rather than just the actual bookkeeping and. And in many ways, that's what uh, the Lazy GM is really sort of good at. It's, it does some bookkeeping stuff too, but it really is mostly about taking the onus off the GM and making your game a much more story-based game. And, and the takeaway that I get, and it's been repeated in lots of different media and even in acting, which is to sort of crowdsource out your game world. Like, ask your players. Um, the, a great example of that is something I do whenever somebody does a critical fail. I'm saying, all right, you tell me mm-hmm. what just happened right. to you. And they take possession of it. And that can be used in any situation. All right, you tell me what the blacksmith looks like. You tell me what the what the what you say to the bartender. You tell me... Uh, and So you're helping to crowdsource out your world, and the player has much more investment in it, and then they can give you as little or as much uh, interaction as they want. And it, and it keeps you from, from railroading, because it's on them to tell you what just happened. Now, it's not... Fail safe, but I find it's actually a kind of instead of you going, uh, let me look up a rule for that, it's kind of a great way to pause and go, why don't you tell me what just <laughs> <laughs> And you'd be surprised at how quickly things move along once you leave it in the player's hands to do stuff. One of the, one of the things, I, I can't remember the name of the one I own, but the, there's a several people have published these books of like monsters and creatures from folklore mm-hmm. and they're 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 done as in, in almost encyclopedias mm-hmm. and Best I, can't, of- I can't even remember the, the one i've got but i've got one of them that has like <clears throat> creatures from folklore and fiction and it has uh, just all kinds of stuff about them not all, it has pretty much almost it's almost like its own monster manual mm-hmm. based on folklore and right. and fiction and it gives you all kinds of information about you know whatever kind of creature this is and stuff like that. And it's not quite enough to. I mean, it, it is. It's practice. It almost is enough to like go ahead and stat the thing out. Mm. Usually, it gives it a pretty. And th- those are the sorts of things that I like. Is is stuff that gives me things that I can pull from. You know what I mean? Because I don't. I may not always I use the stuff verbatim. But like when I was doing the Blood, Blade, and Tusk thing, I put in some fairy stuff, and I wanted it to be slightly different from the Dresden Files one, because I'm really a fan of the Fae and the Dresden Files, how that oh, all yeah. works. The quartz and all. It's really smart. So I, I, I kind of tweaked it and changed it and, and read through that book extensively and added some things in there that... that uh, and I'm, I, I actually kind of wonder if the, if, um, the author used, used that same book. <laughs> He might have. He might have used it, or a similar reference to it. <laughs> Dresden Files was pulled off a Mage Game. Uh, it could have been, but I mean, as far as all the folklore and stuff like that, who knows? Because uh, I mean, the uh, his his favorite are very distinct in, in how they work and, and what they do. But sort of, I think the Mage world has that whole court system set up for their fate. I think because when I was running uh, uh, a freak show mean, game, mean Changeling. No. No. Okay. Maybe. Because I, mean, I was looking through the mage, there was like one of the mage supplements, and it had that whole Fey court. Well, there's a changeling is all yeah. Fey stuff. That's yeah. it. Changeling. Yeah. World of Darkness. Changeling. Yeah. yeah. Changeling the lost. Yeah, and a lot of that stuff is almost verbatim. Anyway, I found it. I found that interesting too. And it, and it, if you look at like Midsummer Night's Dream, that's kind of set up in there. <laughs> and I I I tend to yeah I tend to use a. A lot of my game books as reference for other games. Oh too. Yeah. yeah, I do that all the time. I'm like right now. I'm coming up with <coughs> supernatural creatures for the game for tomorrow because first session one of Slouching Towards Eldamy and GURPS is starting tomorrow, which is a basic you know vanilla fantasy game. But um, like I pulled out the GURPS Powers book, which is really for like a superhero game. Mm-hmm. Like, but I'm like the supernatural stuff. They're not going to cast spells. They're going to have innate abilities. <clears throat> so I'm going to go through there and see if I can figure out what innate abilities they might have. And sure, <clears throat> I do. I do stuff like that all the time. I, it's it's fair to say that the D and D rule books are kind of boring. It was the fluff books I really enjoyed. I enjoyed reading about the Githyanki and all of that that folklore and the plain stuff that they came up with. It's and all that stuff you can then just sort of filter through your own system and put it in your agnostic, system agnostic game. It's true. I, getting inspiration, you can get that anywhere. I mean, sometimes oh, like driving down the road, you know, you're, suddenly something pops into your head and you ruminate on it and the next thing you know, you've got a fully-fledged game. I, I'm, I'm working on a, a one-shot right now that 
I was just trying to get to sleep the other night, and I'm like, what if I did... Oh, what if I did this? That could that could absolutely work for a one-shot, and I'll probably be running it for, hopefully, for um, the, the stream at some point in the future. Um, if we can manage to schedule it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, uh, the other the, the other things that have honestly uh, inspired me the most, especially recently, is um, just watching other actual plays, both here and and other uh, uh, watching how other GMs do it. Oh yeah, and and getting oh. out of my having never taken real acting classes or anything like that, just sort of using. You know, see, monkey see, monkey do kind of mechanics is to teach myself how to get out of my own shame space and just do it, uh, <laughs> not worry about looking like a fool because I I look like a fool anyway. So you have, um, to, you have to own that. Yeah, exactly. You, you do. You do. It. And once well, you, you look do, like we do, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like when, we left the house thinking we looked awesome. No, no. I, <laughs> I, 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 so you got to own I, it. I, You're not owning it. <laughs> I look awesome in the house. I don't leave the house looking awesome, <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, I mean, uh, just being 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 willing to uh, being willing to make mistakes, being willing to to uh, uh, look like an idiot, look like a fool, um, but take a chance, and and it'll it'll it turns out better more often than not. So I would like to piggyback off something you said, and this is something I have brought up I think since day one, which is. Yeah, if you have a chance to go play in somebody else's game or watch somebody else's GM, you will learn more than you ever did doing your own thing. And I'll give you a real-world example. I'm a, I'm a set painter in the movie industry. And I come up with my own set of solutions for, say, wood graining or marbling a wall. And I'm in my own bubble, and I come up with my own things, and it works. But occasionally I'll go and work for somebody else, and they show me a new way to do it. And it, and it, it, it has a different look, and maybe it's easier, and maybe it's, but, and it, but it's just completely different. And I'm like... <gasps> Oh, this is cool, and now I can take this new system, this new way, and my old way, and maybe combine them, or maybe I switch systems. But I would never have known that unless I went and worked for somebody else and they showed it to me. And I know that GMing is the exact same thing. Sometimes somebody has this solution that you'd never thought of, and you're like, oh, oh my god, that's brilliant. I'm taking that. And if you basically, if you're going to work in your own bubble, you have systems, and they're fine, and they work great, but you'd be surprised how much you can learn by just venturing outside your bubble and being in somebody else's game. Oh, yeah. Yep. Even just watching. Even, even just, just watching. observing. Yep. You don't even have to play. The way, yep. the way somebody describes a scene, the way somebody uh, looks up rules or doesn't look up rules. Uh, all of that stuff you can extra- extrapolate. I think that is more valuable than anything else, just stepping outside your bubble. And we, we get this pride, like, oh, I know how to GM, I've got this great system, yada, yada, yada. But it still doesn't mean you can't improve or at least get new information. Because you do. You end up, when you're gaming, this is just a bubble. Oh, yeah. It's like, I'm in Stu's gaming bubble, right? And then if I venture out sometime, if I venture out, it's, it's, there's another game going on. And, and the game runs fine, but they have a whole different vibe, they have the way they solve problems. And their it's, game doesn't smell like farts, their doesn't, bubble doesn't have... No. Methane, <laughs> Going on. Yeah. But I, I'm just saying that that is really the number one thing. If you can watch or try to get in other games, and sometimes the GM is awful, and you learn, and you learn what, what not, not to do. do. Yeah, sure. Exactly. And I've been <laughs> in a couple of those where you're like, I am never going to do that. I, I cannot believe it. the way that guy made me feel. <laughs> yeah. Make a note to self: do not bring up this stance. You know, <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is, you'd be surprised. Yeah. So. Yeah, I really, I really believe that that's the number one thing. All the other trappings and programs and, and other stuff is, is kind of ancillary. It's, this is about running a game and finding what works for you and, and, being in a, and watching other people do it. They solve problems differently, and you can learn a lot. I, 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 will, I will say um, the, um, probably one of the more successful game ideas that I've had um, was uh, I, I ran... I ran it like three or four times. Same premise, but with different players every time. Mm-hmm. Even though they were playing the same characters, mm-hmm. different players every time, it was a different game every time. Always. And I call it heist. And they're, they're you know, it, it's a heist game. They're, they're you're playing a bunch of thieves and, and you... Steal the MacGuffin and just try to get away. Exactly, right. Yep. And you know, I ran it once for the stream, so you can check it out uh, somewhere on, on the website. But um, I I love heist movies. I, I Almost so do I. I mean, they're just—they're just such a great and between you know, um, 
the other one that I've gotten into recently that I've been sort of binging um, is you, you talk about for, for Eldamy, you've patterned your character off of uh, Jim Rockford. Yeah. Right? The one that I've been watching recently is Columbo. Yeah. And the, the complete 180 oh, perspective right. on, on, how a, on how a mystery should work, it's not a whodunit, it's a how'd you get them. Right. <laughs> very, right. Very good distinction. I like. Yeah. It's. It, it, but. <clears throat> but looking. But Columbo allows allows me to look at the. Look at the heist genre from the villain's point of view, instead of from the detective's point of view. Right. And um, uh, thanks to Peacock, I can watch it all for free. Excellent. So <laughs> Jim, uh, Jim yeah. Rockford was more like a. Uh, a Bugs Bunny kind of character. Mm-hmm. He uh, he never really sought out violence, and things always happened to him. But he always seemed to be one step ahead. He always seemed to have one. Well, it's like he kind of knew. The best analogy I ever heard was when they started this. The reason um, um, James Garner wanted to take it was that he, years ago he had done a, a couple of movies and even a series called Maverick. Right. And they re- tried to reboot it, but nobody has the charisma of James Garner. It didn't quite work. But anyway, Maverick was always this sort of. Almost a Mary Sue gunfighter who just didn't really... He was kind of sarcastic and ironic and funny and just didn't really... But he always seemed to be one step ahead of everybody. He always kind of had... Because he was super smart. And that's the way Jim Rockford worked. It was like an updated Maverick for the For 70s. the 1970s, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's so really... It's, it's really fun. But he always ends up in situations... When was Maverick done? I thought Maverick was after Rockford Files. Mm-mm. The movie Maverick with Mel Gibson was after. Yeah. That was in the 90s. Yeah. Um, but support your local, movie. support oh. your local sheriff and support, support your local sheriff. gunfighter. Yeah, those were those were the movies mm. that came out. Oh, okay. Hmm. And there's like there's a whole scene in there where the jail is still being built and they don't have bars. And so, <laughs> yes. so he gets some red paint and he dribbles it around and the and the and the, and the, the deputies watching him are like what are you doing? And so then they get the bad guy and he says, "Now I'm going to need you to stay in this cell here." It's like, "Well, what? There's no bars." And he goes, well, "What's that red stuff?" Well, that's the blood of the last person that tried to get this. <laughs> Stuff like that is what Rockford was great at. That's all that's left of the last guy. Oh, that's what happened to the last fellow that tried to escape. (laughs) Steps in and stays there. Yes, sir. Oh god, (laughs) that's funny. I I I personally love in that that same one because I've I've seen that and and like the the prisoner's like brother or father or something. Yeah, comes to visit like. What the hell are you doing in here? Now, I'm going to try to get these bars, Pop, because I, I helped put them in, and they're really strong. You did what? Build your own prison. Right. It's a do-it-yourself project. Well, I never... Yeah. It's, it, those, it, go ahead and check those out if you yeah. really want. And again, it's that sort of... Um, Bugs Bunny-esque thing. You know, Bugs Bunny always seemed to just know. He was always seemed to be one step ahead of everybody. Right. And Especially the coyote. Of, that, that, yeah. Did he ever go up against Wiley Coyote? No, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of the Roadrunner. Roadrunner, Runner, yeah, exactly. He, Bugs Bunny was up against either Daffy or against Elmer Fudd. Another thing, an, another character built with tooth thin of a neck. <laughs> so Bugs Daffy? Thing. Tooth thin of a no, neck. No, no, the Bugs, bugs and, and the Roadrunner and the next are too, just too Oh, thin. gotcha. They wouldn't possibly depending hold up their own Depending hands. on who directed it and who drew it now, you know, according to the... Oh, God. Oh, God. Don't get, me, don't get me going. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you, Alban from it. Finland. A country which, according to some some uh, conspiracy theorists, does not exist. What? Finland does not exist. You haven't heard that conspiracy theory? I don't troll the same websites you do. I don't know why not. <laughs> Great fun. <laughs> yes, Finland is one of those con- is one of those countries that doesn't exist. I think it's tied in with the flat earthers. I, I mean, it- I mean, I, I'm I'm aware that there is no such place as Wyoming. Wyoming is actually a, a, an ancient native word that means no state here, uh, <laughs> so. or Nebraska. Because what's in Nebraska? Uh, the peace <clears throat> of the plains. Yeah, F- Finland doesn't. It's the state capital building. Finland not existing is a total thing. Oh, it's all right. a total thing. My theory about Finland is it's actually ancient elves. They live there, and they and they they put out the first cell phone. What the Finland? Finland, the weird little island in the snow, put out the cell phone. Came up with that. What? I, that's my whole theory. They're immortal elves, and they Don't live there. Ancient European civilization. That's true. Wasn't uh, Motorola? No, no, no. no. Anyway, Nokia. You're thinking yeah. of? Yeah. Aren't they? Aren't they? Anyway, Swedish. Never mind. Nope. Anyway, Whatever. but I, I think you do exist, Finland. So, but I but I Have do. Have you been to Finland? 
No, Denmark. No? Oh, okay. All right. And that's the other thing. My parents I've, have been to We have a friend who's... Very culturally different. We have a... Yes. Bill has a friend who's married to a Finnish woman. Um, and I, I often said to her, it's like, you guys aren't Scandinavian. She started to get mad at me. It's like, no, you're not. You're only kind of Scandinavian by, by geography. You're Laplanders. And you're actually... You're, the Finnish language is like the proto-European language. It's a non-Indo-European language. It that in no like, language. Is it really non-Indo-European? It is yeah. non-Indo-European. No shit. It, wow. it is... It, it, it has <clears throat> no similarity except in... Hungarian. Well, yeah, it's it, 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 the other hum, Hungarian and Basque and, um, and Finnish. Are and they, Finnish. Yeah, those, those have a, those have a common root, but they do not share common roots with German or Danish or Swedish or Norwegian no. yep. or Russian or French or Italian it, wow. or any of those. It's so. the Proto-European language so much so that Tolkien, who was a linguist by trade, mm-hmm. um, structured his Elvish language around Finnish. Mm-hmm. Because that was what he discovered was the Proto-European language, or what's left of it, before the Romans and Vikings stomped it all out. So anyway, that's my whole thing about Finland. It's a really cool place, but they're not really Scandinavian. They're something otherworldly and different. They're elves. Well, they don't exist. No, they're elves. Of course not. That's what elves would say. They don't exist in this space-time. I think that's the... They're they're immortal. What, they're No, they're, okay. they're just just outside, just uh, just just a little kick off of another yes. dimension, right. just right a little bit, and then just, whoop, just half there. a step to the left, and then yeah, they create cell phones in uh, you know, outside of space time, and then come back and here you go, <laughs> humanity pre-existing <laughs> pre-existing settings with baked in characters from Jolene. Who would like to read that? Oh, I got it. Go. Hey, Stu and crew, Jolene here. Sing along if you like. Jolene, 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 Jolene. What's your favorite Jolene cover? Oh, what's her name? Miley Cyrus. Oh, where's my phone? Hers is good. Hers is good. I was surprised. My I, 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 was, I was surprised. I, I, I do like, I really like uh, Pentatonic's cover that they did with. Uh, uh, is, with that, is, that, is that technically yes. uh, a, a cover if the original person is singing it? Um, she was singing backup. She uh, was not singing lead. Uh, Morgan James. Oh, Morgan James, who could sing the phone book, by the way. <laughs> Morgan James uh, does a really great version. But Rondo. I'm I'm actually kind of partial to the to the stripped down um, Miley Cyrus version with her whiskey voice. Rhonda Vincent, hands down. Okay, Blue, I have, bluegrass I, artist. I have not listened Amazing. to the little Nas X version yet, so I I don't know. So there we go. Rhonda Vincent has probably the most beautiful singing voice on the planet. Have you ever heard anything by her? Mm-mm. Okay, can't say oh I have. I'll look her up when we yeah. get done with this. So there we go. We got Morgan James, we got Ron Vincent, and you've got Pentatonics. Look it up there, Jolene. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you asked for. Not no. that you did. Songs. <laughs> <laughs> it's three singers in a room. This is what happens when you bring up a song. <laughs> uh, with a follow up of my last email about playing a pre existing can- uh, settings. In the last email, I believe, Stu mentioned he has less interest in playing in settings with pre-established characters like Star Wars or Dresden Files. My question relates to the idea of settings where there are very focused protagonists, like those mentioned of Lord of the Rings. Uh, Star Wars movie-wise is most about the small group of characters, and I understand the idea of, well, they're off doing more important things, versus something like Star Trek, where the series sets up a... uh, sets... Up pretty well to have revolving protagonists as the TV shows change the main characters throughout the different series. So, you could just be playing a crew of the newest series set in whatever star date period you'd like. Superhero comics uh, seem to have a whole, uh, seem to be a whole other beast to me because I think part of the ideal of playing in detective comics comics <laughs> is that you will probably interact with the other heroes and villains of the world. It's a trope in those stories. So, what are your thoughts on settings with main protagonists versus could be literally anyone? Uh, follow up. When playing in pre-established settings, you, uh, are you a fan? Uh, you are a fan of. Do you hope for cameos of characters who already know of, no matter the level of importance, or do you just not want to deal with anyone that already exists? I.e., Star Wars and like ending up in the front with Forlom or Marvel and finding Stiltman or even getting a burger with Superman. Sorry to be so rambly. First of all, I really laud your pop culture references here. I, you, I, I you, appreciate uh, that you included Stiltman. And, and Forlom. I mean, that's Jolene, you are, you are ultra nerdy and I, I like your uh, comic book acumen. So, uh, anyway, their question is pre-established settings. So, so, we, but we talked about pre- pre-established settings a couple weeks ago. But yeah. Specifically okay. asking, like, when... When you have a setting that has characters that are really baked into it, where the characters themselves are one of the things that sort of define the setting, mm-hmm. that's at least how I'm interpreting this. 
Can you have Gotham without Batman? Exactly. Or can you have Gotham without the whatever police chief or Gord, uh, push Commissioner yeah, Gordon? Commissioner yeah. Gordon, or you know, or the, even all the pre-existing stuff Batman has done, right? Like, is Arkham Asylum? At what there? point does Joker it, in what, it? At what point is it no longer Gotham? Right. right. You know what I mean? Right. <clears throat> at what point is it Bloodhaven? <laughs> or is it just plain old frickin' New York? Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Different set of Gothamites. Um, right. But I mean. To, See, the, the, the problem with pre-existing settings to me is the danger that you're going to have the can- canonical, 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 canonical characters uh, outshadow yeah. your player characters. Yeah. That's always to me. That's always in the back of my mind as a concern. My preference would be to leave them out, but now I'm being forced into a situation where I can't leave them out because you're, it's just, we're talking now a setting that where they kind of define what the setting is. Yeah. And it's like if you're going to play in the DC universe, yeah. Well, I mean, what defines the DC universe? Well, the buildings are really pretty. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I actually have some personal experience with this because I played in a Babylon Five game years ago, and we were, you know, some of you, you have the, the 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 basic cast. Now that of, let uh, me let me just for one second, yeah. Babylon Five. Two ways you could approach this: Are you playing on Babylon Five? Right. In which case, are those characters are there? Probably. Or are you playing? You know, where we're on somewhere in the Babylon Five universe, but nowhere near that station. Um, you see what I'm saying? We had limited interaction with the station itself. Mm-hmm. Um, we were there for one of the. Uh, um, Really important canonical showdowns that happened in the series, okay, and that <clears throat> sort of helped shape our our groups' uh, uh, allegiances to each other. Uh, it was a, it was a catalyzing event, um, and that. But then, while we were in the B five universe, we weren't always on the station. Which actually worked out very poorly for one of the characters who had rolled up a lurker, whose whole I, like he he would have done very very well had we been on the station because he would have been the the sort of the underground contact kind of person. Right. And it's like okay, if we're down in Brown Sector, yeah, you can absolutely take point on this because you'll you are the one who will blend in me playing a techno mage i'm not going to be able to (laughs) blend in nearly so well so um uh you know it it, but since we weren't on the station it actually uh did not do uh great things for his character right um but yeah we we the station was more the hub and we spread out from there Sort of like a base of operations, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the 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 canonical characters were in our game background. Okay. And the canonical events were background. Ours were the stories that that the other stories that don't make the news. Right. Um, because they are overshadowed. That doesn't mean that they're not important. And this and this is sort of getting to my point is. Just because what your your character is your characters are doing uh, doesn't make the nightly news doesn't mean that what they're doing isn't important. Sure. Um, you know, preventing a um, a world-ending catastrophe that no one knew was even an issue is still important. The fact that you will never get recognition for it can be a really actually an excellent tone aspect to the game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. like, you know, it, especially for uh, uh, clandestine services kind of game. Um, oh, that's then, what happened in Lord of the Rings anyway. I mean, Frodo goes back to the Shire, well, actually, in the book, the Shire is devastated, but yeah. nobody really knew what they did. Right. Only a handful of people knew how important their thing was, and the rest of the people just, their lives just went on. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, any time uh, things are done by spies... <laughs> You really think the world knows about these guys? They're spies. That's the whole point. They're not right. supposed to. Yeah, <laughs> they're right. not supposed to know what they people did. People know what they did. They're terrible spies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is why James Bond yeah, I mean, is a terrible spy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, kind of, kind of on your 
sort of reinforcing your point, the the, the Star Wars film Rogue One. Exactly. <clears throat> exactly. A very important story that yes. you know is not part of the you know the main yeah. canon as far as you know exactly. your, your big films. It's a, it's, it's a side quest. It's it's an mm. also ran. It's boy, is that a compelling Rogue, story though? Yeah, Rogue Rogue One is Star Wars fanfic. Absolutely, yes, it is. <laughs> it's Star Wars fanfic that has been made canon. Mm-hmm. That and it just you know, it, but and and uh, Solo, same thing. Yeah, it's it's Star Wars fanfic that has been made canon. Um, and you know they'll probably do it. Uh, Bad Batch is another one that that that's on right now. That is again the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so uh, you can add, I I would I would very much limit the. Uh, involvement of the big name canonical characters. If you're in uh, DC, for instance, um, don't have them meet Superman. You know, have them meet one of the the uh, I don't know. Have them meet Elongated Man, right? Well, Ralph Dibney, right? <laughs> He's a detective. He can deal, right. deal with that. Deal with deal with Elongated Man, not Bruce Wayne. Right, right. <laughs> you know, um, deal with um, uh, you know. Have, have, if you're in the the Marvel universe, um, you know, and, and if you're if you're playing a mutant game, don't have them meet Xavier. Have them meet I don't know Beak. Well, I mean, <laughs> in, in 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 most comic books, yeah. the interesting, th- real kind of sort of defining thing about the comic books is it tends to be the villains anyway. Right. So and Her- th- then you tend can to have be reactive. Right. And villains are pro. You can always have them meet all the villains you want. Oh yeah, and sure. then kick the shit out of them, do whatever mm-hmm. they want to them. Absolutely. But the it, it, the protagonists that's that, that that's that's where I always kind of get like this sort of queasy feeling about oh this is this could end up being something lame. In that that you want to make sure that your player characters are your protagonists, not not these canonical characters, right? Canonical. Canonical. Yeah, that one. You have a problem with that word, don't you? (laughs) Canonical? Canonical. Back in the day when we were playing champions, you're basically starting out your heroes at sort of ground level anyway. So your heroes aren't going to be... They're more like the Mystery Men than they are the Justice League. Which is a great setting for a game. Well, yes, yes, (laughs) but... (laughs) That's kind of the way they're treated. They are beneath the heroes and villains of the... but that movie you. specifically leans into that problem right. because yes. you've got right Mr. What's his name? Mr. F- Terrific or Mr. Fan- yeah, with all of Mr. Furious. No, 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 no. Greg Kinnear. Oh, Greg Kinnear's oh, uh, 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 yeah, Mr. Fabulous or whatever it is. Yeah, whatever. It's, uh, anyway, that that's that's kind of the way all my Champions games worked out. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Mystery Men was based on the Champions game that somebody did because it's sure. Seems like it when you get a bunch of goofy goofballs. Like I'm going to make the shoveler. You're like, oh god, Captain Amazing. Captain Amazing. <laughs> Damn it, you're, you're you were faster than I was. I also remember back in the day, I ran a Stormbringer campaign. This was a million years ago. And the thing about Stormbringer is it kind of takes place during Elric's lifetime. You kind of just have this whole like that's the only information we really kind of have on, on right. all this. And the Melibonians are there and all that. So Elric was out doing his thing, but he's just one dude. He was off and off in some other dimensional plane, anyway. So he would, like you, like you said, it was background. But the events that he did, I kind of chose like what what books. I didn't, I didn't mark it down or anything. But I was like, this is going to be in between these books, vaguely. And so the, the players were still running around in the world. Elric existed, but he had no interaction with the characters. Some of the stuff that was going on, maybe Meldabone existed. They knew that, but it, it wasn't it wasn't that important to the game. You right. know, um, another example um, uh, in uh, been watching Critical Role since mm-hmm. lockdown started, and there were a, a series of events in their second campaign where they uh, various different events where they met characters from the first campaign because mm-hmm. the two the two campaigns were set twenty years apart, okay, um, or ten years apart, something like that. Uh, 20 years. Um, and there was always this huge reaction from the players when they met someone they recognized from their the previous, previous game. Right. So it doesn't even have to be established big IP. No. It, if you're playing 
if you're playing a campaign and you're referencing characters from a previous campaign that you ran, that your players were involved with, even if it's not all the same players, there can be that level of recognition from a background, you know, someone they meet in the background, someone they meet um, uh, that they have um, a, a, a strong memory of. And it will probably feel more personal yeah. there than if your street level, uh, you know, uh, 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 Rising Phoenix, whatever, uh, Phoenix Jones, that's the name of your, your street level Phoenix Jones kind of guy meets Wonder Woman. Right. Right. It's, it, there would probably be a more visceral reaction. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, what that means is that it, it's, there. That's dependent on you having your own personal back catalog. But I mean, Birdstaff. <clears throat> right. Birdstaff is an example of mm-hmm. that as well. So, uh, you know, Xavier Birdstaff running into him and it's like, wait, wait, wait don't we do Stu actually did one better. Okay. Better than Birdstaff? Okay. Yeah. He actually took an. Well, L5R. No, I'm going to I'm going to one up you on that. Okay. Even all right. Oh, okay. In your vampire game, mm-hmm. you took an existing PC that somebody played and made him an NPC, Scully. Oh yeah, that's oh, true. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, I was actually trying to get him to come in for a, a session <laughs> as yeah. a, like a like a, a guest player. A guest yeah. player. Yeah. <laughs> and you did that too. I think a couple. You even you even brought back some of them because they all took place sort of in the same world. And yeah. Just, well, I like doing that because it ends up building a history that you can. Fall back on anyway. I think that's what Kurt was trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's like the L, like the, when I every time I've run L five R, I use it's the same continuum, yeah. it's the same family, yeah. and it's just just a generation or two later, you know. And then and people and, even and the got, PCs have done the work for you, made a history for you, right? Right, and fucked up the world. So now there's this stuff that happened that you can now build off of. Exactly. I, I'm loving this. In that sense, you really can become your own grandfather. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why, thank I'm you, gonna, I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna. I'm going to ask sort of the devil's advocate question, which is, I mean, what if you do want to play in Gotham City? You know, I, I think part of the danger of playing in this is the canon, but but at what point would you would you want to use somebody else's canon? And in a way, do we do that anyway with D&D, you know, with all the fluff books and all that, that's somebody else's canon that you're playing yeah, around depends. in? I mean, I mean if, kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm running an, Eld, uh, uh, an Eberron game, that's using... Right. Somebody else's. So what's what's the difference between that and the say, well, what, what, what defines the setting? Yeah. yeah, I mean, and it really, and to me, history is the number one thing about a setting. That mm-hmm. what what events have happened here? What right. what 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 is what is the past of the of this setting? Because mm-hmm. that that informs what the future might look like and 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 what the present is. That to me is critically important. But like. Like you know, getting back to the 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 original email, it's like there are settings out there where where the, it, the it's more defined by the characters. I mean, certainly, I would say that with DC and well, comic books, really. Yeah, the, yeah. the big comic book universes, and it doesn't even have to be you know fictional IP. I ran a game that was set in World War One, in which the 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 players met Winston Churchill. Right, and that's see, that's the weird <laughs> thing. That's the weird thing. I would have no problem. Uh-huh. Having players meet historical characters, okay. I don't have a problem with it. They, yeah. they met um, uh, what's his name? Uh, who was the the fucking craziest spy control freak that ran the FBI forever? J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar, they met J. Edgar Hoover when he was like a special agent with the FBI in the 1920s. Okay, and, and I have n- no qualms about having a historical character come in and meet them. But but when it's it, it is maybe it's because of what that character does. Like I don't think I would have a problem with the players in a DC universe meeting Chief Gordon or yeah. Commissioner Gordon or whoever. Yeah, it'd be like yeah, sure, whatever. That's not the guy that saves the day. Right, and 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 J. Edgar Hoover certainly not the guy. <laughs> well, and in that same game, in that same game, the player uh, the players had an opportunity to uh, interrogate Gavrilo Princip. Oh, excellent! There you go. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely not Crit- the person. Definitely not the person who saves the day. <laughs> no, not at all. Critically important person. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it brings up what I was really going with that. It was um, like I would I would not mind. Usually, I, I'm a little. Hesitant to play in a really established canon because because for all the reasons, but there are times when I might make the exception. For example, um, Hobuk, 
on our on Hobart. our Hobart, Hobart guy, I don't know. Adam. Adam. Yeah, is this, a huge Star Trek fan. Right. Huge. And he's forgotten more about Star Trek than I think most of us have ever known. And if he were to run a game that took place in the Star Trek universe with all of that stuff, I would I would be in. I would be in because I know that he knows his stuff and it would be really fun to see him play around in that world, and I know he'd be very careful with the canon, and we would also start bringing it in, and I would love to see that happen. I, Jolene, I would love to play in a Gotham game with you, because clearly you know your comic book canon. Yeah. And I think I was for a long time I struggled I was going to be a comic book artist, and part of the fun of, of being a comic book artist and writer is figuring out what you can do within the confines of stuff that's already happened. It's like, some people find it limiting but some people find it really interesting like like what can i do to reinvent this what what other what you know what what can i do with swamp thing that hasn't been done i know i'll make him an elemental of the earth wow there's a now all of a sudden there's a whole new uh, world that you can explore and it's fun sometimes just to sort of play around within the canon within this this the confines of this sandbox that that has some established borders without you know, it's not too free for him, and, you, and it, I don't know. It's fun to me sometimes to figure out the little nuances of stuff that hasn't been explored or done yet. And people who really understand the canon, like Adam does with Star Trek, I would love to see what he would do within those confines. Now, most of the time, if you were to run into Batman and, and you're playing in Gotham City, uh, the players First of all, are going to lose. Well. <laughs> the way I, the way I would do it is that you know one day you're on a rooftop having a meeting or something and you turn around and he goes I, I've been watching you I like what you're doing but I'll be watching and then he disappears again and that's it right you know but but it would be if it was somebody that really knew the DC world like say Kimmy I would love to play in a DC world with her and see what she did because mm-hmm. she would be very honorable of the canon and I know she understands it so in, in certain instances I would be all in. You know what I mean? Sure. If it's somebody who really knows what they're doing. If you want to experience that yeah. that setting and that yeah. canon. Uh, my bandmate ran a, uh, a Middle Earth campaign mm-hmm. that was set in the Second Age. Mm-hmm. And uh, he knows that shit backwards, forwards, up, down, left, and right. So, um, you know, it was, from all accounts, I, I wasn't a player in it, but from all accounts from people, it was Im- incredibly immersive. Mm-hmm. And at that so. point, it's no different than playing in the fluff books of D&D. Because it's sure. somebody that has done their work and you've got all this lore that somebody else has come up with that you're then utilizing. Or even in Traveler with uh, the different ages. I know when you were playing Traveler, you were very, at first, you were. This I is put us like right before the, I think, the Fifth Frontier War. And you did all the work and figured out all the history right. and all the stuff. And all that stuff was happening while we were playing. Right. It didn't really affect us, but it was important for you so right. that you knew what you could do and where. Well, where it would go. eventually have affected you because a, a war was coming. You just didn't quite know it. Right. Because you guys were like finding, you know, Zodani ships hidden and so, in and so dead space, in the you know, of the that, that canon was created by fans and by and by traveler. What's, that doesn't make it any different than you know. Oh, the, I mean, the, well, the, the, tra- the, 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 the traveler canon spans a lot of games. Yes, it does. It's got it spans board games and there's all kinds of. They made all kinds of stuff back in the eighties mm-hmm. to kind of support that universe. So I guess there's I guess what I'm saying I'm pointing out the disconnect between playing in Marvel universe and playing in the Traveler universe in which there are established canon and history and rules and people that have done things what makes it any different I think the biggest difference is the familiarity of the players yeah yeah and that's you're gonna get you might get called on shit yeah. in a, a real established fictional setting right whereas in a you know a game setting like if like when we were playing that that Traveler game. Well, actually, the Zudani did not invade until 1107. (laughs) And according to official reports. And in the comic book world, you're going to run into people like, you know, if you're playing in Gotham City, it's like, I'm going to go up to Bruce Wayne's mansion and confront him. And you're like, no, wait, what? Because everybody knows that Batman is Bruce Wayne. And your characters would then be burdened with that excess knowledge. Right. So it can get in the way. It's, uh, I don't know. In many ways, playing in established IPs isn't any different than playing in the gaming established IPs. It's just sort of maybe a matter of perspective. People just people just a little more sensitive about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if, something, right? if it's something that they care about, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like my reaction to the DC movies and your reaction to the DC movies. Yeah. Like like you were like genuinely mad at me for liking Man of Steel. <laughs> <laughs> Really not very good. <laughs> well, I, it's not. But. See, 
and I see. I don't. I, I have no skin in the game when it comes to to yeah. comic books. Right. Right. Zero. They're not precious to you. Not at all. So the, the idea that someone took the Superman character and flipped it around and said, let's look at this from the other side of the, the sort of paranoid point of view of like, this is an alien from another planet who's all powerful. This is looking Think at of Superman the many, from, many, many ways this could go wrong. This is looking at <laughs> Superman from the Lex Luthor point of view. <laughs> or, or the Stu Venable point of view. Or really. just, <laughs> just their just a, they're both bald. They both run an evil empire. Yeah, they both run an evil empire. <laughs> you know what? I've never seen Stu and Lex Luthor, Luthor in the, the same place. place Coincidence? Same time. That's right. I think not. But I, <laughs> I, I personally, I, I thought that was a fascinating oh, shit, take on the, the whole goatee. Thing. He's the evil. See, Lex and you Luthor. both are like now. You're like both, <laughs> like trying to block the fact that I like the movie that you guys don't like. <laughs> I just don't want you to go on and on about it and, and embarrass yourself in front of the world. <laughs> oh, I don't think I have. Not at all. Are you kidding? He gets on stage with you. How, how concerned could he be oh, about that? No. That's right. This brings us back to, I left the house thinking I was good. <laughs> all right. Let's go ahead and call it. Well, I have, uh, do we not, I have world building, but... Uh, we're running. We're, we're, are we we're, running long? Yeah, okay. we're running a little long. Um, Only where? 10 till, but okay. Where is it? No, that's not the one. <laughs> it's never every you never ever have to just remove that button. Where Why do we even have that button? <laughs> it was from the old it's the old one. I know. And I should get rid of it, but someone may ask to hear it someday. You never know. Well no, they hear it. They every, won't. They hear the, but they, hear they the, might. They hear, hear the first it. couple notes of it every show. <laughs> <laughs> New that's listeners true. are gonna wonder what the hell it is <laughs> <laughs> that we are not playing. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Oh, that's not the wrong one. <laughs> oh, there it is. Thank you for joining us for season 29, episode 3 of Happy Jack's Rubber Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Kurt. Stork. And we'll see you next week at uh, on Saturday, again, 10 a.m. Pacific Time. For the last time on Saturday, then we'll be back on Fridays at 7 p.m. Pacific Time the next Friday. Thank mm. you very much. And tomorrow, first session of Slouching Towards Eldamy. That's right. I don't know how stupid it's going to be. <laughs> it's going to be pretty stupid. But I've got a real stupid opening scene plan. <laughs> so we'll see. Thank you very much. See you next time. Bye. been a presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Bum, 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 bum.